Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, let's start with our weekly game of Spot the Kieran. Where are you? I'm at Timpers. Are you in Timpers? At present. Yes. Is that what we're officially calling it, Timpers? Absolutely. Okay. If you want to piss off a northerner, call it with a really southern version of its proper name. Kieran, I, I piss off enough northerners by getting their town location wrong. It's a weekly, uh, it's a weekly occurrence. Um, Kieran, we're going to start with a shout-out. Uh, we're not normally that sort of a pod, Kieran. Other pods would, would do a shout-out because a child had been born to one of our listeners or more likely to one of our listeners, a grandchild had been born. Well, we do a shout out if an exam had passed. Uh, again, for most of our listeners, that would be a prostate exam. But we're, <laughs> we're, do, we're doing a shout out to Jim Peacock, who sent us a very proud message. Jim Peacock, uh, hello, Jim. Jim sent us a message to say that he acquired his Price of Football shirt just the other day and he wore it last night for the first time to play five aside. And in his words, Jim scored a hat-trick of worldies and he's putting it down to the shirt. So if you want to score a hat-trick of worldies, obviously I'm allowing for a bit of male exaggeration here, Kieran. And so I think one of them probably was a tap-in. Uh, like Neil Shipley's, <laughs> they, all count. they all count. Like Neil Shipley's tap-in at Wembley. Oh, well, it wasn't at Wembley. It was in Cardiff to win us the playoff, which is now a 35-yard volley, obviously. But Jim, <laughs> well done. Congratulations to you. And I suppose, Kieran, it's Newsday, and I suppose congratulations to Southend as well. Although I have to say, Kieran, it seems more like a a, a temporary stop to their problems at Southend, Kieran. It doesn't have the feel of a permanent ending, does it, unfortunately? Yes, it, it, it's a bit like it, it, Southend sort of turned into EastEnders. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every, every week it sort of you, you've got that drum roll and the uh, what, what's going to happen next. So the good news, and let, let's start off with the good news. Um, I think as as predicted, yes. Ron Martin, the owner, um, played his game of brinkmanship, and the day before the court hearing was due to take place, all of a sudden £1.4 million pounds of uh, working capital appeared and, and money to pay off the tax man. So it looks like the tax debt has been settled uh, for now. Uh, Staff have been paid their wages for January and February. Uh, Is is that all staff, Kieran? Because there was some talk that the players had been paid, but some of the actual workers at the club hadn't yet been paid. Oh, right. Oh, that could be the case. I mean, I I, I was talking to somebody today who who knew somebody from the the youth team who had been paid all up to date. So so that that was a positive. but trying to work out what Ron Martin is going to do next, and the chances are is that it's going to involve not paying some people, um, and it, it does appear to be some sort of glorified game for him, which is is disturbing because these are people that have got rent to pay, they've got mouths to feed, they've got yeah, they've got standing orders and direct debits, and and their finances being hit by this. Um, we don't know the extent of Southend's United finances because Ron Martin has chosen 
to break the law and not publish any accounts since 2019. That is a criminal offence, by the yeah. way. That that's a breach of the Companies yeah. Act. And the thing is, you you get a a fairly paltry fine, and you just you know, I think he's just quite happy to to take the fine. Um, I, I know some people from Companies House uh, do listen to this. So just just if you do, just just check. Yeah, South End United Football Club, and uh, perhaps have a word in his ear because he's 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 he's, he, he's holding everybody to contempt. Yeah. You know, first of all, his statutory responsibilities as as a as a shareholder as a, as a director of of the company. Um, secondly, HMRC by delaying and delaying. Uh, but most of all, in in my opinion, uh, his employees. Uh, and yeah, that's playing and non-playing stuff, um, and, and eventually it will it will catch up because you you very quickly run out of goodwill. And, and it's, yeah, I've I've always taken the view that be nice to people and and they'll be nice to you back. Uh, and and he's not that type of person, and it's it's very disappointing. So we we don't know what will happen. Um, yeah, Matt Slater, who's our our friend at the Athletic, he's a Big Southend United yeah. fan, you know it's 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 his club. He he went to a, he did a really good report ten days ago for sort of you know what they thought was going to be their last away fixture. And anybody that attended these these matches, and I think you and I have probably been pretty close to them ourselves. Um, there there isn't there, there's a, there's defiance and there's anger, but there's also there is sadness and uh, I, I just don't understand the motives of the person who. Who, who stands to make a lot of money out of South End United if his, if his uh, proposals for, for development go ahead, um, whether this is all part of a, a, you know, an attempt to strong-arm the council into uh, accelerating the, the process through which Roots Hall can be converted into properties, which he can then sell at a profit. I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it, it's shameful and tawdry in my view. Well, also, Matt Slater sent a very funny tweet today saying that HMRC are fast becoming their local derby. Now, they're, they're <laughs> yes. twice a year meeting with HMRC. Um, and again, there's a lot of talk from Southend journalists from BBC Essex today that the money he could make if Roots Hall was developed for housing and they get the permission to move to this new ground. It's the utter contempt he shows for fans as well, Ken. I remember that two months running, fans chipped in to pay mm. wages of staff at the club. But trying to pay, I, I don't know if there is an opposite of devil's advocate, angel's advocate, trying to be very generous to a man who doesn't deserve it. There are one or two people saying, well, maybe this time it wasn't brinkmanship, it just interest rates are so high at the moment that you managed to get a loan. People were talking about £5 million, but he didn't want to take it out on uh, the earlier in the year because of the amount of interest he'd have to pay so he arranged for it to be paid the day before but I mean that really is being generous to him Kieran isn't it because it, it that is and also um potentially that he'll be paying interest on the late payment of taxes you, and the fact that it had to go to a high court hearing means that he will have had to go and pay legal fees for for his representatives and um you know it's uh I think I think it's highly unlikely that uh, all of this just ha- it just happened to arrange a loan twenty four hours yeah. before before it was quite there's there's uh, th- there's too many coincidences when it comes to South End and uh, late payments and just avoiding winding up. Well, it's um, it's good news for the uh, wine prosecco and champagne sellers 
of Southend and the Essex area tonight. At least, so at least Southend fans can sleep uh, in, comfortably in their bed for a few nights. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the Belgian equivalent of EastEnders, Kieran. It's called Ostenders. Uh, <laughs> not as much happens, but the beer is much, much better. Uh, in other news stories, Kieran, the um, uh, Premier League and the EFL are not quite sitting in a tree, K-O-S-S-I-N-G, Tracy and Kieran style, but they're, they're chatting at least. Yes. Um, the, the, the day after the white paper was announced, there, there was a scheduled meeting, by all accounts, between the Premier League and the EFL. Uh, it, it did take place. Um, I believe it was cordial. Um, and they've they've now got 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 effectively a a mandate going to come through legislation in due course. Now, I, I suspect what will happen is that the Premier League will once again prevaricate. Um, we'll wait for the legislation. We'll hope that its uh, it, its pets will try to dilute and put down the proposals. And, and for some reason, um, the Times now appears to be the uh, the go to vehicle through through which uh, the Premier League's lobbyists, uh, the Institute of Economic Affairs, the Cato Institute. Uh, a few uh, a, a few journalists there, which is surprising because there's there's some other really good stuff coming out from the Times um, from from other journalists, but there's 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 at least one there who's just being cantankerous about everything to do, and and you know the, the claim that there's going to be 200 employees yeah, at yeah. the regulator. Um, I, I I've I've been in contact because um, I thought that sounded a bit strange to me. Um, and I think the word bollocks was the reply <laughs> um, when I said, yeah, because yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a light touch regulator. If you know, yeah, yeah. and that, that sounded to me completely inappropriate and that they just said, no, no, it's, uh, that is news to us as well. Um, so there's, there's scare stories being put out. Um, the premier league is, is trying to, uh, come out with you know things such as the law of unintended consequences. Um, well, what are the unintended consequences of having uh, a fan golden share in 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 relation to protecting the badge and the the colours of the shirt and and the the home ground? What 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 are the unintended consequences of um, having a, a slightly more beefed up? Uh, owners and directors test what what are the unintended consequences of getting well not getting rid of but you know certainly trying to reduce the cliff edges which which encourage overspending at all at all areas of football so um yeah i i can't see this um uh, yeah and it's it's all sort of it's very passive aggressive you, you can see that there are people connected to historic political campaigns saying well, this is the route we go down, and uh, we're not going to cut. And, and when you see the criticisms coming out, it's never from Spurs and Manchester United and Liverpool because they've all been tainted by uh, the being the sneaky six. Yeah. Um, so that so they that they tried to get other clubs to do it. So all all, all very Machiavellian. Um, but uh, my understanding is is the Premier League its 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 biggest offer was to increase. Its 
uh, its distribution from 16% to 19%. The EFL wants 25 Um My view is, is that we need a, a five-division solution because an, anything which makes one particular area of the game substantially better off given that you can't increase the size of the pie it, it's you, you've got to take a bit more care cutting it so um I, I don't think much progress will be made because the premier league says well you know why give 19 percent or 20 percent now if if we can delay it for a couple of years because the the legislation probably won't be passed until 2024 it therefore won't affect you know possibly before the the 25 26 season this gives us an opportunity to to sit on things um with, with the current distribution model um and and pretend that we we uh, are willing to give up a bit more and and then they'll say right we're now go oh we we'll now go to arbitration and perhaps we'll come to some form of solution there it's in the very nature of unintended consequences Kieran, that you can't predict unintended consequences can you yes in the same way that i once asked uh, referee graham pole is uh, a friend of mine I make no apologies for that. I want to ask referee Graham Pohl whether he subconsciously gave decisions in Manchester United's favour at Old Trafford. And he said, well, I wouldn't know, would I, if I was doing it subconsciously? So in which case, I said, you must be... I said, in which case, Graham, you must be doing it deliberately. But um, the uh, you can only assume, Kieran, I think people like the Institute of Economic Affairs, who are described normally as right-wing think tanks, I don't yeah. understand why... They're even getting involved in Premier League football unless, as you say, they are the pet of, of a Premier League owner or one. To, it, uh, I can't see what their their issue is. Uh, it's not something they've spent the last five or six years talking about and then suddenly this new regulator comes in and, I mean, God knows what it would have been like if it had been introduced by a Labour MP. I mean, it, it's introduced Talk by... grief. That's right, but it's introduced by, as, as she said herself in the interview to somebody compared Tracy Crouch to, to Mao. So yeah, I mean, Tracy Crouch, yes. she, I mean, she's a good indication, as Jess Phillips once said, that most of the work in Parliament is done by cross-party groups, sensible grown-up yep. adults who work together um, and, and ignore their party political lines. And this is what's happened with Tracy Crouch and other MPs. I don't see why the Institute of Economic Affairs in particular is sticking their beak in. Hmm. But then if you Google... Institute of Economic Affairs funding, um, you you get an organisation which, if if the stories do have any credence, is it's funded by big oil, it's funded by uh, people from the gap, yeah, right, by the gambling industry and so on, uh, and it it was also very closely linked to the. Uh, the the previous conservative regime under Liz Truss, ah. and uh, I, I believe it was you know, very very uh, very fulsome in praise of the quasi Quateng budget, huh. um, which which is which is which is coming to a mortgage near you uh, <laughs> probably probably very soon to many of our listeners. Uh, yeah, tell me about it. Um, I don't think Liz Truss lasted long enough to call it a regime. It? <laughs> it was a reg, but um, the EFL announced some. Quite decent news in terms of revenue just now, didn't they, Kieran? Yes. So, so EFL have published their own accounts, um, and and they generated one hundred ninety one million pounds of income in twenty one twenty two, which, by second division standards of 
global football is very, very good indeed. Yeah. Um, the, the, the problem, and this, this is not just a problem for the EFL, this, this is a problem for the rest of European football, is that it's great and then till you compare it to the Premier League, which is generating three billion. And the the, the biggest success, you know, the, the, the Premier League has been amazingly successful and you've, you've got to give credibility to the people there, to the clubs that have gone out on the pre-season tours to spread the word, to the people that have gone out to the broadcasters um, and, and said, yeah, we've got an amazing product and we've got a competitive product. Um, the, the trouble is the, the rate of growth has been so spectacular. It, it has um, left left everybody else behind. Um, and this, this is... This is the challenge. Um, yeah, there's no reason why the Premier League couldn't be just a wee bit more more generous. Um, you know, it, it, it does point out it gives more money to to the other tier of football than again than any other institute or another any other organisation. But I think that there is there is scope to take things a bit further. Um, the EFL have also put their uh, Put their TV deal, which which generates of that 191 million pounds of total revenue, 119 comes from the Sky deal. They put it out to tender. It does look as if there there will be quite a lot of interest, um, and, and potentially they could double the revenues, which will be fantastic. And uh, you know, I think ITV, DAZN, you know, some of the OTT broadcasters do seem genuinely interested because there's a lot of matches. What what they've got to be careful of is that they don't cannibalize their own product in the sense that if they give away too many matches and if they give away the 3 p.m kickoffs will this result in a decline in attendances and therefore what you gain in terms of a greater broadcasting uh, audience um is is lost through lower match day attendances so it's it's a balancing act but they they do seem quite bullish and and uh, yeah, we we just had the Carabao Cup. It was Manchester United versus Newcastle. It, it, you know, it, it got good figures there. The you know two clubs who, as we know, uh, have have big fan bases. Um, so yeah, the, you know the, the, these numbers are good, and, and that money gets distributed to the clubs, um, which which helps them to survive. And that's that's what we want. We we want a successful twenty. We want a successful ninety two, and we want a successful national league as well. Yeah, talking of broadcasting, though, can we, we, as we speak, we're about ten minutes away from two live FA Cup games kicking off, uh, one on ITV and one on BBC. I mean, there are few enough live games on terrestrial TV as it is domest- yes. domestically, and now we've got two on at the same time, and there's another one on ITV four, which seems a, a, a little. I mean, I know they can't really split them up because they, the games are all been played midweek, which is, I'm sure, the broadcaster's not particularly happy, but. It's an odd situation, isn't it? Um, Tracy Crouch, when we spoke to her last week, told us of uh, some of the opposition she expects. Mm. But it seems that the regulator of English football queue faces an existential threat from a source we weren't expecting, and it's an old friend of ours. <laughs> yes, yay, yay for FIFA, we all cry. <laughs> yay for FIFA. Um, so, again, this, this is I, – I don't know how – much credibility to, to give to this, but it, it was again came through one of the newspapers, um, and and FIFA to, to give FIFA credit do have a responsibility to ensure that there is no political interference in football, and that's good. 
Okay, this the recommendations of of the of the fan led review, not not the politicians led review, because it. If, if politicians do start to get involved, then there'll be winners and losers in terms of individual clubs, and, and, and then, then we get into a toxic mess. So I, I, I think the politicians are actually quite wise to, to not get involved in this. Um, but there have been some claims that the, the proposals amount to political interference. Um, but I, I, would, I would refer people to the tweet of our very good friend, Nick DeMarco, who says... I have considered uh, this point and doubt that the proposals as drafted in the white paper will directly engage the prohibition prohibition on government interference in the FIFA statutes. Ah, um, so I, I think that, once again, it's scaremongering um, from the, the Premier League uh, trying to take down as many elements of the recommendations as possible. Um, to be fair to FIFA, they, they have said nothing themselves, um, and there is bound to be speculation. And also, it has to be said, um, you know, people have a right to to question the wisdom of of the independent regulator. And um, you know, I, I have I, I've spoken, or I've, I've contacted because I, I did a, uh, I did say a few snarky things uh, about somebody from the Cato Institute, um, and, and I offered him an opportunity to come on the show to which they did not reply, which, which is a shame. Um, but I, I don't really see how this can be deemed to be uh, political interference, given that it's a, an appointment, which, which is not going to be of a politician. Um, there will be scrutiny by uh, parliament, but then there's, scrutiny of the football association you know, that pe- people from the football association people from the premier league people from the efl they all had to attend um you know a parliamentary committees following the demise of berry that wasn't political interference that was an investigation into the sad loss of a part of the fabric of english football mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to um trying to persuade people that there is far greater political involvement Oh, and there is government interference is is simply wrong because that's not the case. Is, is there is there a potential political benefit to the government in introducing this legislation? Yeah, I, I suspect there is because it it's it's the nature of the policy. It's it's one which engages with people, and people who are football fans are also voters. But it is not the same as as the government trying to dictate anything to do with the operational level of football, anything to do with England team, anything to do with grassroots, apart from the fact that, in my opinion, there's insufficient investment by central and local government into health and health and sporting facilities in the country as a whole. But, but that's a completely separate question. Was it on this show that you were snarky to the Cato Institute? Because if so, I really must stop doing crosswords while you're answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it was well, funny enough. Once again, it was a a, a column in the Times, ah. which, which does appear to be um, organisation number one, which which is a shame because uh, you know people like Martin Ziegler are absolutely brilliant in, yeah. in the type of stuff they put out, and he's he's not one of the bad guys. There is talk here, and uh, you know, if you remember the five days of madness 
around the European Super League. Uh, and of course you do, because you didn't see the Baroness for five days because you were talking to <laughs> the, the media. Um, I mean, people were saying then, wiser people than, than me, that uh, there, there were rumours that the government would, would step in to prevent a breakaway of English clubs. Whereas people say, well, FIFA would view that as absolute political interference, which you can kind of understand, but that is very different to this, because as you say, this is not particularly a political appointment as such, is it? Yes, you're absolutely right. And um, I, I can't remember how many prime ministers ago we were <laughs> when Super League came. Uh, but, but Boris Johnson said um, he would he would do he would have a nuclear nuclear option in in respect of stopping english uh, english clubs joining the the premier league and and go as far as changing the lbw rules um given his extensive knowledge of football so <laughs> um yeah there th- that that wouldn't be political interference it would you you could simply change some of some some of the legislation that went, um, nobody wants to go down that route and also if if the owners of Manchester United want the club to leave the Premier League, they presently have the, the facilities to do that. Um, and that, for me, is, is a cause for concern. Now, Kieran, you know about my love of Lauren Hardy, my passion for Lauren Hardy. Well, mm. one of their later films, perhaps the only really decent one of the later films, was called Blockheads. Uh, and in it, Oliver oh, yes. is told by a neighbour about a story he's reading in the paper about a soldier who didn't realise that the First World War had ended and had been parading up and down in a trench uh, for the last 24 years, whereas Ollie says, who could be that stupid? Looks at the paper, <laughs> looks at the paper and it's a picture of, of Stan beaming uh, as he does. And then he does about four, and I think, I think six times he goes to leave, goes back to check the paper. Such is my geographical paranoia lately, Kieran, that I have been doing that with an atlas all day just to make sure that the next two clubs we're talking about are in the West Country. So I can say we're taking the trip to the West Country, Kieran, and I'm fairly certain no fans of either of these clubs would get humpty if I say we're going to the West Country. And, and the first of our West Country stories is the end of a mini saga, really, isn't it? So... The good news uh, about Yeovil Town is that they've still got a club to support. Um, the club has been acquired by a company called SU Blubbers. So that is the football club. Um, SU Glovers Limited is a company which has been set up for one pound. Um, it, it may have additional resources. Uh, it, it apparently is, is owned or controlled by a guy called Matt Ugler and his mum. Matt has been very successful in business, so he's he's got resources. Um, And he he talks about having stewardship of the club, Um, but it's a bit vague as to exactly what his plans are. Um, But that's, that's what happens in terms of the ownership of the football club. But the football club itself does not own the land. So... We have a separate agreement in which the local council appears to have bought the stadium, i.e. the property assets, and a lot of the surrounding land as well for a total of £2.8 million. And it's then going to rent the stadium 
back to the football club. So you might say, well, that sounds that sounds all right. You know, that's sort of, you know, the council protecting the football club. Um, the Yeovil Town former owner, who is a gentleman called Scott Priestnell, it, it appears, um, and here the the work of the, uh, the the fantastic people at Glovercast, who are are the club sort of you know the, the fan base who got their own podcast, um, they've got a really good website where they 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 keep an eye on things on behalf of the fans. It looks as if Scott Priestnell might have some form of buyback option oh. for the property. Uh, and and the land surrounding. Now, at present, there, there's not definitive uh, planning permission for a load of retail uh, or a load of residential. But um, part of the reason why uh, the, the councils got involved, because it feared that the football club might be put into administration by Scott Priestnell. And this, this appears to be an opportunity for him to go through the right processes and then get planning permission to uh, convert the land into properties on which he could then make a large killing. And are we saying pound shop Ron Martin Um, in the sense that, you know, that's what Ron Martin wanted to do. He he wanted to convert uh, the football ground uh, at, at South end into, into properties. Um, so it, is is this simply just buying an individual time to which they can then get planning permission? Um, th- there's no evidence that Scott Priestnell wants to put the football stadium itself uh, into some form of alternative property. But anybody that's ever been to Yeovil uh, and, and, and has tried to get away from the car park uh, following a match will will um, confirm that it's an absolute bugger. Uh, at, at the best of times, um, because it is a it's a fairly tight area, and, and I think there are plans for something like you know two hundred and fifty four two hundred and fifty properties in in the land surrounding the football ground, so it would really hem things in. Um, and you know what what is the council going to do? Because you know uh, lo- local taxpayers can say rightly that yes yes we are sympathetic to Yeovil town football club but there are many other businesses which are not being protected in such a way so they'll be in an ideal world be wanting that the, the the council to sell sell the property back and yeah at what price is it going to be at a, at a profit to the council to take into account the new planning permission we don't know will all of the profits come to to this gentleman scott Priestnell, who who has put has put some funding in but seems to have a, a, a breakdown in the relationship with the fan base um, and, and he's not the first person to do so. So it's it's good that we've still got the football club. It's potentially good that we've got new owners, though the new owners, you know, I think they they would, I, if, if I was to give them some any counselling, I would say go out and communicate, engage with the fans, come on the podcasts of the local fan groups, come on the price of football if, if you really want. Yeah, we, we're, we're always happy to talk to anybody um, and, and to give them the opportunity to, to express what their plans are for the club. We've we've got past one set of uncertainties and we appear to have replaced them with another. <clears throat> yes, one to keep an eye on. I'm, I'm sure this is a joke, Kieran, that Yeovil Town fans have heard many times, but uh, I heard it recently and in a context that made me laugh very much. I won't name them, Kieran, but these are people you've met 
in the Porsons' arms, oh. uh, one of whom has recently come out of a relationship with uh, a partner I, I could best describe as feisty. Right, so, <laughs> uh, and then he, he told us that he had a, a, a new girlfriend that he just met, uh, and she was very nice, and she was a Yeovil Town fan, to which my mate Gaz, if you haven't met, he went, oh, so this one's a Glover, not a fighter. Which, hey. which I thought. That, I mean, really, that's it, it got it got the Lords round of applause for a four. For it a, should absolutely. That's an absolute gem. It, it was a David Gower shot through extra cover. That was. <laughs> um, the other West Country. We spoke uh, in our last pod, Kieran, a Reading fan told us about a, an urban myth in Reading that Reading uh, released their kits very late for financial reasons. But uh, <laughs> another team in the West Country have released their kit already. Yes, this this is Bristol City, and we we covered this story um, before Christmas in in relation to Hummel and Hummel's um, unique distribution agency um, had gone into financial trouble, and and this affected quite a few clubs who who had Hummel kit. So I think Millwall and Coventry and quite a few other clubs were affected, um, and they weren't able to sell their kit. Um, and they haven't been able to sell their kit since. So, so what Bristol City have done? They've signed. Uh, they've signed a deal with O'Neills, who are um, Ireland's biggest um, sort of domestic uh, manufacturer of of sporting apparel. Um, and they've said, right, we're, we're going to release the 2023-2024 kit now. Um, so the, the players, I think, are going to start to wear it from within about a couple of weeks. Um, and as soon as it comes off the uh, as soon as it comes off the loom, um, then Bristol City fans will be able to get it ASAP. So uh, you know they they will have the opportunity because yeah there are people's birthdays coming up. There are there are events and you 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 want you know you want Dave sixty on for for Dave on his sixtieth uh, birthday to get that kit. We've we've all seen them. Um, and uh, yeah, fair play to Bristol City for for being proactive and not just hanging around with the old kit for the rest of the season, but saying we've got, we've got a deal and, and let, let's let's get it sold. So so good luck to them. What, what a pleasing image that was, Kieran, the shirts coming off the loom. <laughs> like the, like the old timey days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, occasionally, Kieran, when you've been with somebody for a long time, like I have with Ali, you, you discover something about them that you think, why did I not know that from the start? Uh, and it's you know there's a, there's a wedlock stand at Bristol City, or there used to be a wedlock stand back in the day, and it turns out that Ali is distantly related to the uh, wedlock uh, involved who played for Bristol City. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, but the, the the look she gave it came up by a very roundabout situation. The look she gave me when I said I didn't know that indicated clearly that I did know that and I'd forgotten. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon.
Kieran, I think we've probably had two whole weeks without any sort of discussion about socios or digital or anything of the like, and I believe that two-week period is about to end. <laughs> yes, yes, the hiatus is gone. Um, so we are looking at uh, Internazionale, who who proudly uh, announced a a deal worth the thick end of a hundred million dollars with digital bits, um, some crypto NFT bunch of do gooders, um, <laughs> and they proudly presented their uh, their logo on the front of the. Um, uh, into shirts, which, which, as we know, should only ever have the word Pirelli on the front. Yeah, indeed. Um, and uh, it, it was worth $25 million a year. And then on, on the 1st of November, um, Inter said, um, oh, uh, we, we're not going ahead with that deal. Um, and all of a sudden, the, the logo ceased to be there. And you go, well, that didn't last very long, did it? And, and it now transpires that... Um, not only have digital bits um, decided that they don't want part of the deal, um, they, they've they've not paid a penny. So they they have had free advertising um, for the start of the season, and yeah, blow me, ship shiver me timbers and and so on. Um, a company from an industry which is unregulated, easy to manipulate, and highly volatile, where lots and lots of participants have gone bust in the relatively short time in which it's been in existence, um, has itself seemed to have a bit of a cash crisis and therefore has not paid for the rights to sponsor. So, yeah, th- this this will hit Inter um, significantly because they would have had the deal with somebody else. They, they may not have got quite as much, but they'd have got you know, a substantial amount of money. And I think, once again, it, it shows the precarious nature of getting into bed um, with the, the the overall elements of the crypto industry, which are, which are very quick to uh, uh, show their own benefits or their own supposed benefits, but um, seem very reluctant to actually part with hard cash um, in order to honour their side of a contract. So, yeah, once again, shabby. Uh, now, good, Kieran. I mean, it's not been the best season for Liverpool fans, but some uh, some good news for Liverpool vis-à-vis their league position with Manchester United. Yes, in in the financial league, um, Manchester United were the biggest revenue generating football club in the Premier League from its inception in nineteen ninety two ninety three for every single season subsequent to that, until last season when they were overtaken by local rivals Manchester City. And um, Liverpool have just announced their accounts, or they've given a summary of their accounts, and they've overtaken um, Manchester United as well. Um, partly due, of course, to, to winning two domestic cups, so therefore they have a, a bit more matches. Um, they, they also got to the Champions League final. I think Manchester United got as far as the, the last last 16. Um, and it is becoming more and more competitive because there's 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 a gnat's whisker uh, in terms of difference really now between the, these three clubs. They are they are very close, but City have have nudged ahead and kept their, that position for two years. And 
once again, we, we refer to uh, Ed Woodward, the, the former chief executive of Manchester United, who, who said, um, I think this was about five or six years ago, Manchester United does not have to win football matches in order to be successful off the pitch. Well, unfortunately, Ed, you know, and this this is ironic given that Manchester United have just won a domestic trophy. Um, they, they do because you, if you're successful on the pitch, you pay all matches, you get more prize money, you um, you get more bonuses from sponsors, and even. Manchester United, which you know, as a brand is pretty much unparalleled in my view. You know, Liverpool have got an amazing fan base uh, in, in terms of its global appeal. But you know, I think even Liverpool fans will know that, that Manchester United um, has, has has more people in more countries who, who claim to support the club. Um, you've, you've got to convert that into cash and, and Liverpool have um, overtaken Manchester United. That, that situation may reverse itself. Um, given that you know, Manchester United are doing well in, on four fronts and they're, they're making progress in the Europa League, Liverpool have, oh, I think it's fair to say, quite a task to, uh, to, to get to the next round of the Champions League, but you know, never say never. Um, but so I think this, this, this does show that sponsors, commercial partners and broadcasters um, – they want to be associated with winners and, and, and Manchester United, given the size of the club, uh, Manchester United still has the biggest wage bill uh, in the Premier League. Um, it, you know, they've they've got to start delivering trophies. Um, otherwise, there is danger. I, mean, I don't think they'll become another Arsenal. And, you know, that's not a, that's not a dig at Arsenal, but Arsenal have really fallen off uh, the, the pedestal uh, in terms of being at the top end of the revenue streams and they they were they were second behind Manchester United for many many years but they they've now been overtaken by all of the other members of the big six so it's a salutary lesson yeah um, just for newer listeners Kieran and for those uh, south end fans who are bathing in champagne uh, wondering uh, how much the people on the other side of the fence make what what sort of revenue figures are we talking about per year for Liverpool Man United Manchester um, so as far as Liverpool are concerned, they have generated five hundred and ninety-four million. Um City are just over six hundred, and Manchester United, I think, are around about five hundred and seventy. So you know, there's, there's not a lot of difference between them. Um for a club like South End, we're probably talking in, in the in League Two, you're probably talking somewhere in the region of three to four million. Um, so it would take Southend, you know, 150 years to to earn the same amount of money as as, as Liverpool did last season. I, I should Southend fans will be pointing out they wish they were in League Two, Kieran, but in the National League. At the yes, moment, aren't they? so yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, so, so, we, sorry. Their most recent accounts would be the 2022. Oh, I beg you, I do, I, I do beg your pardon, Kieran. That's, that's as accountants, we always look in a rearview mirror. Uh, there's a Jurassic Park joke in there somewhere, Kieran. Dinosaurs, but <laughs> too, I, I, I want to finish and watch the football. Um, we've spoken quite a lot recently, Kieran. You in particular, as somebody who spends a lot of time at Old Trafford, about the need for that ground to be developed and the cost that it will incur. Uh, but there's been some potential good news for Man United this week on that front. Yes, and, and as always, it's it's potential 
but it might come at a price. So there's an American hedge fund called Elliott, and um, they have said they are willing to help uh, the the redevelopment of Old Trafford. Um, in in my opinion, if if whoever is in charge of Manchester United has any sense, you bite the bullet, you ax, you. You, you knock down what you have at present and you make it a 21st century development as opposed to a glorified Jenga or Lego model, yeah. i.e. by building bits on top of bits on top of bits. Um, so um, this hedge fund has said it's, it's willing to fund the redevelopment, even if it doesn't actually get involved in the takeover. And it could be that they get involved um, with the Glazer family. And Manchester United share price has fallen probably the best part of 30% in a week. Um, wow. Why? Yeah, yeah, why, why well, be, well, one, one of the Glazers turned up to the Carabao Cup final. Yeah, they, they, they love, they've not been seen at watching the, the club for about three or four weeks. And it looks as if the, the bids for Manchester United – which, which I, I, I'm picking up vibes of, and they're not groovy, um, <laughs> of, of around about four and a half billion for Manchester United, which, which in my view is, is, is more than a fair price, but it doesn't meet the expectations of the Glazers. Um, and it looks as if the Glazers are potentially going to dig their heels in now, and they, they might go down the same route as Manchester City and the Liverpool owners, FSG, and sell off a small proportion of the club. Um, it could be that the I think two of the Glazers, I think it's it's Joel and Avram, who are the two two of the six siblings who are most keen on Manchester United as a business. Um, they they will keep on their shares. They might be able to persuade their siblings to sell some of their shares to, to Joel and Avram, but I don't think they can afford to buy out the rest of the family, but it could be there'll be sort of a combination um, in such a way that Joel and Avram, they they want to have 51% of the votes. Now that's not the same as 51% of the shares because under the Manchester United share scheme, if your surname is Glazer, for every one share you have, you have 10 votes. And if your surname is not Glazer, um, you end up with just one vote, and and if if the Glazers sell the shares to people outside of the family, you 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 have that dilution in terms of votes. So yeah, they they could end up with owning. You know, I, I've not crunched the numbers. They could end you know owning thirty percent of the shares, but still having fifty one percent of the votes, or 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 something something like that. Um, so the reason why the share price has gone down is the markets who had hoped that if there was a Qatari bid, then the the Qatari owners would offer to buy all of the shares in Manchester United. Um, and if so, that would, would normally have to be at a price similar to that that was offered to the Glazers. Um, if, if that doesn't go ahead, then Manchester United shares simply aren't worth $27 at which they were trading a week ago. So people have started taking profits as tends to be the case uh, here, so um, if Elliot do get involved, then they could lend the money. Remember, Manchester United already has a substantial amount of debt, yeah. so you could have debt added on to existing debt, which means interest charges would go up. I've, I've always said 
I personally don't have an issue with debt. It's all about meeting debt schedule repayments as and when they fall due. You know, Spurs have got a lot of debt, but they're generating a lot of money. I think Manchester United could easily sell out 90,000 seats um, every weekend at Old Trafford. And uh, if if new owners came in, they, they could organise that in such a way that a lot of those seats would go to, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, could go to day trippers who are prepared to pay premium prices, could also go to the hospitality trade who are very, very lucrative. And Manchester United's hundred million pounds a year that it presently makes from match day income could be close to doubled um, with with the right pricing structure. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I'm in favour of such a pricing structure because, you know, I, I share a dressing room when I was playing cricket with with lads from Ermston and Gorton and so on, um, and, and they are, in my view, the true Manchester United fans. But we also have to operate in a in the business world of of twenty twenty three. Is there another way, Kieran, that this hedge fund Elliot could help fund Old Trafford's redevelopment other than loans? And um, um, what's in it for them, if there is? Um, well, what, what's in it for them is. Manchester United is a cash cow, so they know that from a from a lending point of view, is it's it's very very low risk. Right. Okay. Um, and therefore, you can you can sign up for a yeah a twenty or thirty year loan, and on on the back of that, um, you you get guaranteed money coming in. Potentially, you might be able to do something with those debts in due course. You might be able to convert them into shares so you could end up with a, a proportion of a very successful business. If, if Manchester United or whoever it is manages to unlock the fact that the club claims to have 1.1 billion followers yeah. and and um, all you've got to do is you know, Manchester United get 55 pence per fan per year. You convert that to a pound or two pounds and you've got a completely different business. But doing that has is, is been something which has has, has banjaxed everybody um, at all clubs for the last you know, twenty years since we started to become you know, really addicted to to being online. And, and this notion, Kieran, that the, each Glazer share is worth ten votes—that's perfectly natural in business, is it? And the people who buy the other shares are aware that that's the case. Yeah, yes, they are. Um, it, it is far more common in the US than it is. Uh, in in European markets, um, it, it was originally quite common with with tech stocks. So we saw that with Google and Facebook. So so Mark Zuckerberg, for example, he has shares which are, carry ten votes each, and the shares which are traded on the markets uh, in New York, in terms of Facebook, they have they have one vote each. Um, and and this is a way for companies which have been set up by individuals for those individuals to keep power and control over the company whilst also maximizing the amount of revenue which is generated through taking the clubs to market or sorry the companies to market Kieran I'm going to go out on a limb here because Manchester United women published their latest accounts uh, last week and I'm going to guess they were probably some way behind Manchester United men that that limb has has been well and truly uh, achieved. Um, yes, Ma- Manchester United made five million pounds worth of revenue compared to uh, you know, over a hundred times of that by by Manchester United itself. But it's it's itself is is quadrupling 
revenues in the year. Um, and then when you, you you delve into the numbers, it, it turns out that the vast majority of that income is is coming from commercial deals. So you know, women's football it is in an interesting position in that we are seeing crowds being broken this season, um, uh, especially when there are local derbies yeah. taking place. Um, and, you know, it's taking place. We, we've seen it at the Etihad. We've seen it at Old Trafford. We've seen it at the Emirates and so on. And we're getting, you know, some pretty big crowds. Um, but you then got to get the pricing right. And the, I think the danger in women's football is that if you if you sell the tickets too cheap, then people feel that the product's not worthwhile. And if you start selling tickets at £5, how do you then next season charge £12 for them, which is perhaps a, you know, a, a more appropriate price. So, so there, there, there is, I wouldn't say it's an existential problem, but that there, is a, there is an issue which is genuinely causing challenges for um, the, the people in charge of, of the women's game in, in terms of individual clubs about you want to maximise the number of people attending and you want to get the maximum amount of money from them. But it, they, the women's game is at a different price point to the men's game. And what that price point is, nobody at this pr- at present moment is quite sure. These are not happy times, Kira, for QPR fans. They're, they're the only West London club not in the Premier League. I, I don't think there's many years you could say that. Um, they're not doing particularly well in the Championship. They've got a new manager uh, and they've also lost a lot of money recently. Yeah, they, they they lost the thick end of, of, of half a million pounds a week, and, and this, a week, a this week. is the Great. this a week. This is this is the lunacy of of life in in the championship because they are not big spenders by championship standards. Um, but it's if if you're if you're spending one hundred and twenty five pounds on wages for every hundred pounds that comes through the door, then then you've got a problem, um, and. and the vast majority of clubs in that division are, are, are in in that that mess. Um, clubs coming down from the Premier League with parachute payments do have an advantage. Um, some people argue that that's an unfair advantage. Some people say, "Well, it, it's you know." I, I, was, I was talking to somebody senior at a club that, that was relegated recently, and he says, "Yes, we acknowledge that it's an advantage, but." The fact that our fans still have a club to support, we would have gone bust had we not had the parachute payments. And you know, I've, I've said this before. I think the parachute payments are for too long, and I think they're too high. But I don't think that they should be abolished. Uh, and it's also the fact that there are some very wealthy owners of clubs in the championship who who are willing for their clubs to lose that that fifteen twenty million pounds a week. Sorry, sorry, fifteen twenty million pounds a year. Um, and, and that that continues um, year in year out, and it and it's you then look at the total losses being made over a number of years, and, and you know you end up in the hundreds of millions, and you think, well, what exactly have the owners got out of this for for all of the grief that they probably get from fans as well? For because ultimately the fans want the club to get promoted, um, and QPR aren't. Yeah, they're they're not they're not challenging the runners and riders on a regular basis. Um, and yet they've got the worst of both worlds. They're, they're losing money and, and they're, 
then they're not playing the football or, or making the progress that the fans would hope for. Our penultimate uh, news story, Kieran, takes us to Blackburn Rovers, who are spending a lot of money on a player that's not allowed to play for them. Yes, this this is a player called Lewis O'Brien. And the, the thing about the transfer window is the transfer window closes at either, you know, it's normally 11pm or midnight um, at the end of January. And, um, you know, in my view, it, it, it's a bit like, catching a train or a plane you know when when it pulls out of the station it's gone whether you're 30 seconds late three seconds late or half a second late it, if it's set off it's set off um blackburn are trying to sign lewis o, or have been trying to sign lewis o'brien um and it looks as if their paperwork went to the efl now the efl are saying well it, it was after the deadline and therefore Sorry, yeah, you've had you've had the whole month of January in which to sign the player. Um, my understanding that Blackburn's owners, the Venkies, who who are quite surreal. In the more hear, stories I hear about the Venkies and the way they operated, the, the more baffled I get. They, again, they subsidised the club to a huge extent, um, but they, they like brinkmanship in, in in a similar way to Ron Martin. And I don't know whether they were trying to extract um, a slightly better deal for themselves in the signing of Lewis O'Brien. I think it's a loan signing. Um, and they said, oh, we're not going to go do it. We're not going to do it. Yes, we will do it right at the very last minute. Get the paperwork through. And it looks as if the paperwork arrived too late. They're now saying, oh, we think it, it did arrive on time or there were extenuating circumstances. Um, and, and it looks like they're spending the thick end of a hundred grand trying to prove that uh, in terms of legal fields and legal fees and launching the appeal. Um, you know, if they'd any sense, they'd have tried to get the deal over the line a day or two earlier. You know, it's a bit like your tax return. You know, don't don't decide to submit it at eleven fifty eight p.m. on the thirty first of January just for the sheer joy of of putting your tax in right at the very final moment. You, you don't actually gain anything. And if, and if, if your, your internet goes down for a minute or two, then you end up paying a fine. Absolutely. One thing I can say, Kieran, with, with some pride, is that my tax return always gets in on plenty of time. It's, I, I feel it's my duty to cheer up the hardworking clerical people at the tax office by sending my tax return in. It's when they've got it that the problems start. But it's always, <laughs> always on time. Um, our last story, Kieran, takes us to three Scottish clubs, uh, two of whom have fantastic kits, and one of whom has my favourite kit sponsor of the season on the front, which is Crunchy Carrot. Uh, <laughs> so we've got Motherwell, Green at Morton, and <laughs> the Crunchy Carrots, Full Coke. Yes. Um, I, I've, I've said on quite a few occasions that, that Scottish football, in my view, in the main, is in a better position than English football because it doesn't have the cliff edges um, between divisions. And also, um, you know, let's be honest, we know who the top two teams are going to be in the Scottish Premiership. So therefore, clubs aren't incentivised to, to overspend because you're never going to be able to, to genuinely um, compete with Rangers and Celtic because between those two clubs, they've got... Um, they they spent, I think it was, I worked it out as 94% of all the transfer spend wow. in Scottish football came from two clubs. Wow. 
which 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 means it's a it's a non competitive league. So therefore, in general, if if you're trying to uh, operate in that environment, you say right, we'll live within our means. Um, I, I think Falkirk, however, did have a bad year, um, and, and they had to be they had to be dug out. Um, we're seeing quite a few Scottish clubs bring out figures. Um, Motherwell and Greenock, Motherwell are fan owned, so therefore they they tend to operate within their means. Greenock Morton again, reasonably okay. Um, but there is a different mindset in Scottish football in the main, um, and this this shows what can be achieved if uh, if the jeopardy of promotion and relegation is not as steep as we have it in the English game. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. That's very kind of you. And if you'd like to join them by making a small monthly contribution, you can do so again to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. Yep. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Uh, we will try to answer them on our Monday questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Um, well, thank you as always for the support for the show. That's uh that siren in the background is, is is hopefully not somebody uh stealing the Frank Sidebottom statue, which I'm fairly close to at present. Um if if you want to support the show, um engage with us, uh, that's great. Thank you for all your emails and and, and we, we love to hear some tales of of uh of of the kit. Uh we even got somebody from uh, from Ohio uh in a kit. Uh, at the weekend as well, which which is fantastic. We, we, we're well chuffed. Um, but there's another way of supporting the show, and, and that's to go on to your podcast app. And uh, if, if you give us a review, um, it, it helps us in the charts. It doesn't matter what you say. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Nick Knowles and Amanda Holden <laughs> to go down a more sort of populist route. Um, and would Kevin and I, our egos, we can cope with it. We are two South London boys, um, and uh, we'd be fine with that. So, yeah, very, write whatever you want. Very good at pointing, Nick Knowles. <laughs> I, I urge you to watch your show, which is not a, a skill necessarily good for a podcast hosting. Uh, <laughs> I like Amanda Holden. I, I can't recall off the top of my head what her pointing skills are like, but Nick Knowles, his pointing skills are second to none. Bye, everybody. Excellent. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the